0: It's a glorious day because of what Christ has done for us. So, do you believe it? If we believe it, that means that we can never be the same. And if we are the same, it means we really haven't believed it. Because no one can believe it and come to know Christ in their heart and life and remain unchanged. It's impossible. So we live in a world today that's filled with skepticism. It's a characteristic, and some countries like ours are proud of the fact that we're skeptical. And, um, you know, I I wonder what it would have been like on that first Easter sunrise. What a powerful, wonderful, glorious thing that that would have been. Uh, sometimes I wish I was there other times I think about it and I'm glad I wasn't because it was a time of fear a time of doubt and confusion a time of darkness in which even the closest friends of Jesus did not believe so I want to ask us today in this church are you a skeptical believer And we want to talk about what that means. This word skeptic comes from an ancient Greek philosophy. And this ancient Greek philosophy denied the possibility of real knowledge of any kind. It's very contemporary, isn't it? Denies the possibility of real knowledge of any kind. Therefore, a skeptic is one who habitually doubts and questions or suspends judgment upon matters that are generally accepted so what about the claims of Christ what about what that means not 2,000 years ago but what it means today and for those of us who claim to know him are we living as skeptical believers when Jesus was standing before Pilate and Pilate was asking him who he was if he was a king in John 18 Jesus said for this reason I was born and that's why I've come to bear witness to the truth and everyone who seeks after the truth listens to me. And Pilate asks the very contemporary question, doesn't it? What is truth? If Pilate were alive today and he asked that question, what is truth, they would have given him an honorary doctorate and made him the head of the philosophy department at a university. So the truth is standing there in front of him and he doesn't recognize it. So, but you know, Pilate, he was a Gentile and he was a Roman and an unbeliever and all of that. But what about Jesus' closest friends, his strongest disciples, the ones who had left everything and followed him, who had gone with him through the ups and downs of popularity and and, uh, discrediting uh, the questions, the challenges, the infamy. They had followed him all through all of that and they had seen and heard And they loved him and were dedicated to him. On that first resurrection morning, they were skeptical believers. Not one expected Jesus to rise again. Even though he had told them, even though it had been prophesied, even though they knew the scriptures well, not one expected him to be alive that day. When they went to the tomb, they were surprised to find the stone rolled away. They were more surprised to find the tomb empty. So Mary Magdalene was the first one there. She thought the tomb had been violated. Somebody had stolen the body. And later on, when Jesus himself appeared to her, she didn't recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. Nothing wrong with being a gardener. But he was much more than that. Mark tells us that when the women came back from the tomb and they told them that Jesus was alive and appeared to them, the disciples, these faithful men, would not believe the women. Their report seemed to them like an idle tale. That's wishful thinking, woman. You don't know what you're talking about. But they did. Later on, two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus himself comes in and starts walking with them. They didn't recognize him. They thought he was a stranger. And then they returned as soon as they realized who he was, as soon as Jesus himself revealed who he was, then they returned and ported it to the other Disciples there. Mark 16 says that those disciples did not believe them either. Skeptical believers. And while they were still talking, Jesus himself stood among them. And Luke reports in Luke 24 41, Jesus is standing there. He's saying, I'm flesh and blood. I've risen from the dead. Put your hand here. Here. You can touch it and see that I'm not a ghost. I'm real. Luke 41, uh, 24-41, while they still disbelieved for joy. That's too good to be true. But it wasn't, was it? In John chapter 20, when Jesus had appeared to those disciples in in that room, uh, Thomas wasn't there. And so Thomas comes along and, and uh, they all said, not just the women now, the, the men too, they're saying, no, he was here. We saw him. He stood right here. He's alive. Thomas said, I don't believe it. He was one of the 12. I don't believe it. And so he said, unless I see the hands in his hands the mark of the nails, place my finger into the mark of the nails... Place my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's a pretty strong skepticism, isn't it? That's a pretty strong doubt. Eight days later, Jesus again came to the disciples. This time Thomas was there. And Jesus went up to Thomas and he said, Okay, here I am. If that's what it takes, here's my hand. If that's what it takes for you to get over the the hurdle of your unbelief, here's the side. Put your hand in there if that's what it takes. And then Jesus said this. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. But Jesus gave this blessing. Listen, because it's important for every one of us. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So are you a skeptical believer or are you a blessed believer this morning? A skeptical believer says, yeah, I believe who Jesus is. I believe he rose from the dead. But it hasn't made a difference in my life. I'm still living the same kind of life. I'm still doing the same kind of things. Then you're a skeptical believer instead of a blessed one. And the Lord wants us to be blessed believers. Well, many days after that, seven of the disciples were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is on the shore. At first, they still didn't recognize him. And then in Matthew 28, after 40 days, 40 days after the resurrection, and Jesus had appeared to them many times, and spoken with them, sat down and ate with them, like they used to do. After 40 days and many appearances, it says that when Jesus was there, this is as he's ascending into heaven. It says they worshipped him, but some doubted. These are his believers now. These are the chosen ones. These are the ones who know him best. In Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus, when Jesus was talking with these two disciples on the on the road and they still didn't know who he was and they were still in the midst of their sorrow and grief it says that Jesus began asking them questions and they began to to explain to them what had happened and how all of their hopes and expectations even centered upon Christ were now gone because he was crucified and they were dumbfounded because The women had come back and said that Jesus was alive and now they were confused and they didn't know. And Jesus rebuked them. So as we come before the Lord to rejoice and acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I wonder what his response to us this morning would be. This is what Jesus said to those disciples oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken did you believe them the prophets which ones do we believe all of them the ones that God had revealed his word to and called them and anointed them and sent forth his word when God does that things happen Jonah, the unwilling angry, bitter prophet went to a people that he hated and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit through the power of God's word he spoke a one sentence proclamation and 120,000 people repented that's the word of God Mark says that in the upper room, because the the disciples wouldn't believe those who were eyewitnesses, it says that Jesus rebuked the disciples for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they would not believe those who saw him after the resurrection. So what about us today? We've had not only the prophets, but the apostles. 2,000 years of church history a faithful people witnessing to the presence of the living Lord? Uh, are we hard-hearted, foolish not to believe and accept the testimony that Christ has made him to be both Lord and Christ? But ours is a skeptical age, right? Um, it's not a whole lot different from the first century a lot of people in first century were skeptics as well the disciples eventually got over their unbelief because God was so consistent and because of his grace and his mercy he opened their hearts he opened their minds he opened their lives so that they could understand and believe and be transformed and it's out of that transformation that the New Testament comes and the Roman Empire eventually will be completely transformed. So those skeptics turned in to become the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers that God sent to raise up the church. In those early churches, especially the ones um, that we know about in the book of Acts, uh, a lot of these, several of them were Greek churches. One of them was a church at Corinth. Corinth. And it's the Greek philosophers who were the skeptics. And there were plenty in the church at Corinth. Uh, Did you get that? There were plenty in the church at Corinth who were skeptics. And so Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. And so he says this, and he might be talking to us this morning. Now if Christ is proclaimed as, as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, if you went to many of the theological schools in this country in Europe, these are supposed to be the ones to train pastors and things. Um, they will tell you that they don't know whether Jesus really rose again from the dead and it really doesn't make any difference. But what's important is what people believe. Now, those guys, I think they lived in Corinth. That's who they're talking about right here. So, Paul continues, If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is vain. Y'all familiar with this word, vain? It's changed meaning over the, over the years. The, way, the word that Paul uses means empty. If Christ has not risen from the dead, our preaching is empty and our faith is empty. It's the same word that in the Old Testament, the writer of Ecclesiastes, again, a very contemporary modern man, writes emptiness of emptiness. Everything is empty. He's a modern day philosopher. A lot of people look at life that way. It has no meaning, has no purpose, has no content. We're just here in a biological sense and when we're dead, that's the end of it. And a lot of people believe that. That's why there is such despair and hopelessness and why there is so much confusion as to what does my life mean and where am I going and what difference does it make anyway? you ever ask yourself that? Why are you here? And what difference does it make if you had never been born? Well, in God's economy, it makes a big difference. So he continues, Paul does. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is empty, and your faith is empty. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And here's the clincher right here in verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless and you are still in your sins. No hope, no forgiveness. No meaning, no purpose, no direction. But Paul goes on. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So that's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel of Christ. Christ. So the resurrection is the victory of Christ over sin and death. Uh, Later on in the same book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 15, um, he's continuing to talk about this. And in verse 54 through 56, he says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus gives us His victory over sin and death so the empty tomb and the risen Lord what that means is that it means your sins and my sins have been atoned for now we can reject that atonement if we we choose to do so no thanks I'll pay for it myself and you will go to hell or you can receive the grace of God and you can be in the presence of the living God forever He gives us his victory over sin. So, what does that mean? It means that the the reason the tomb, the stone was rolled away, is so that you and I could see that Jesus is risen. And when we see that Jesus is risen, it means God has forgiven me. There was a man who lived in the 1700s. His name was John Wesley. And um, he was uh, very well educated. He was a fellow, a teaching fellow at Oxford University back then. He was a, a, um, a theological uh, guy. He was um, ordained in the Anglican Church. He was a priest. He became a missionary. John Wesley was a missionary to the United States. Wasn't the United States then. But um, he was a missionary to America. And he came to, of all places, Georgia. <laughs> And he did not know God. He wanted to know God. He longed to know God. But he didn't know Him. Other people thought he did because he led a very good life, disciplined life. Um, But he knew the fear in his heart, he knew that he did not know God and he wasn't right with Him. Well, one day when he was back in England, he was with a group of Moravian Christians and God touched him. And what he did is he transformed this man and this man God used as one of the great men who transformed England and kept England from having a revolution that France did. Uh, You know, with the guillotines and off with their head and all that. Uh, The setup was the same in England as in France. The only difference was what God was doing through people like Wesley and and um, Whitfield, and those guys. And what Wesley said, his testimony was, he was there and somebody was reading Martin Luther's commentary. It was a preface to the, to the book of Romans. And in it he talked about the just shall live by faith. Justified by faith, not by works. And when Wesley understood that, the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And he said, I felt my heart Strangely warmed. And what he meant was this. He said, I understood that my sins were forgiven, even mine. Sometimes we find it so much easier to believe that God will forgive somebody else's sin or somebody else's failures. And we struggle, we stumble over the fact that God will do the same thing for us. And we think, boy, I'm so, such a, a lousy person, a, such a terrible sinner. God will never forgive me. You mean your sin is greater than the grace of God? That's a very arrogant thing, isn't it? My sin's so bad, God can't even forgive it. Well, there isn't such a thing. Are we skeptical believers? If we're blessed believers, we receive the free grace of God. Given to us through the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the, the real good news is that sins forgiven, that's just the negative part. And oftentimes we stop there. My sins have been forgiven. I've been set free. Okay. Why are your sins forgiven? Set free for what? What are you going to do now? With your freedom. Sin's forgiven and being set free. That is not an end in itself. What is the purpose of the forgiveness? What's the purpose of the freedom? You remember the book of Exodus. You've got the Israelites in slavery for 430 years. And God in his grace and his mercy through the Ten Commandments and the, all the other stuff, the uh, Ten Plagues and all, he delivers them out of bondage. Well, if that was the end we'd only have half the book of Exodus. The deliverance is not an end in itself. It's an opportunity to go further. Uh, There's a lot of exorcisms in the scripture. Demon-possessed people being set free. That's not the end. That's not the purpose. Just being set free is not the purpose. Because you can still be free, but empty. You can be delivered from slavery, but still be a slave in your heart. And so these things are never ends in themselves. Paul's still writing another letter to the church at Corinth. And this is what he says in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation that's what the forgiveness of sins that's what the being set free is all about being a new creation it's not a remake of the old it's a new creation something that a transformation that's taking place Uh, the old habits are just that they're old and they're gone because you're a new creation Paul wants to make it clear If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. It's dead. Behold, the new has come, and it's filled with life. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he's made us new, a new creation in God. When he first created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden, there was no flaw. There was no blemish. There was no death. There was no decay. There was no sickness. Um, They were perfect in every way because God is perfect in every way. This new creation is like that. It's like that. A new start. Skeptical believer... Well, sounds good. But come Monday morning, back to work, back to school, back to the job, Uh, same old, same old, you know, nothing much changed unless you've changed. And if you've changed, everything else is impacted by it. Everything. Everything situations won't change circumstances won't change personalities won't change but you will be different and because there's a difference in you you will look at things different you will look at yourself differently you'll look at other people differently you'll communicate in a different way your vocabulary may change learn something more than four letter words Um, who'd have ever thought or a different set of four letter words Uh, Words like love, that's four letters. Words like life, that's four letters. New creation. And then he says, more than that, God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. God calls us to participate in what God is continuing to do. And he's saying, I've changed and transformed you, and now that you're a different person... I want you to participate. Can you imagine being partners with God? Being co-workers with God? It's like walking with Jesus, like the disciples did. And you you run into challenges. No, that's not going to change. You run into difficult circumstances. The disciples walking with Jesus. But what happens? Well, you know, when you didn't understand something, what what did the disciples do in the Gospels? They went to Jesus. What do you do as a Christian? You run to Jesus. Or, oh, no, we're skeptical believers, so we can't go that way, so we have to sit down and figure it out. Or we get with our friends and say, well, what do you think I should do? And they tell you this, and you go over here, what do you think I should do? And he's telling you something entirely different than him. And so you ask a third, and he tells you a third thing, and so you're no, you're no better off than when you started. You're still confused. Because every one of them is confused. But when you go to the Lord and to His Word and His Holy Spirit begins to speak to you as He always does through His Word, then you know. And so you can work your way through because you're participating. You're working with God and not against Him. And He says, He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them because Jesus took that on the cross. And entrusting to us, did you get that? God himself entrusting to you and me the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, representatives of God Almighty. God making his appeal through us. And Paul uses the word we now. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. If you're a blessed believer, you are the righteousness of God. Do people see it in your life? Do they see it in mine? Do they hear it in our words? When we're cursed, do we curse back or do we bless? So, God has made us to be the righteousness of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul puts it this way, verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom freedom. Really free. Not bound by habits, not bound by addictions not bound by bad attitudes, not bound by uh, destructive ways of thinking, um, been set free, if the Spirit of the Lord is in you. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that's in the face of Jesus Christ, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So if we're a blessed believer and not a skeptic believer, then God is working within us on a regular basis, changing whatever is not Christ-like in us and in our lifestyle and in our relationships with each other. If not, then we're just skeptical believers. And those are people that God does not entrust himself to because we are not trustworthy. So, writing to the church at Rome, in Romans 6, 3 and 4, Paul says this Do you not know? He's writing to the church, to Christian people. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So I ask you this morning, as a believer, number one, what kind of believer are you? Number two, are you walking today in the newness of life that Jesus died to give you and to me so he didn't create us to be empty he didn't free us to be empty he didn't deliver us to be empty he made us to be filled with all the fullness of Christ and that's the heritage that he gives to you and me and that's the meaning of the empty tomb we can live and walk in newness of life today because of Christ's presence in us. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we can come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning as your sons and daughters, we might celebrate the risen Christ, Christ risen within us, within our hearts, and within our lives. And that we might be filled with his presence and go forth in the newness of resurrection life, filled with his spirit and with his presence, walking in his grace. In Jesus' name, amen. In our church, we have communion every Sunday. It's a good reminder for us because it's a reminder that we don't go through this life on our own. And it's a reminder that, a constant reminder, that every one of us is nothing more than a sinner saved by grace. That's all we are. Sinner saved by grace, every single one of us. And so we come before the Lord, we come with humility, confessing our sins, repenting of our sins. Repenting doesn't mean just being sorry. It means letting them go and not continuing to walk in them. It means walking in the freedom, in the newness of life. The old things are behind, and we're not looking behind our shoulder anymore. We're looking ahead to the newness and the fullness of the life that Jesus came to give to us. And so we come to celebrate this morning. It's resurrection day, but Jesus said, Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What that means, your sins are forgiven. You've been set free. The fullness of God, He longs to pour into your life and mine. And so that's what we celebrate this morning. Uh, The Last Supper, actually is three things. It looks to the past, to the Passover. Um, It's God passing over those homes who had the blood on the door and the doorpost, the post and the lintel, in the form of a cross on those homes And God said when the death angel comes uh, as an act of judgment from God, when they see the blood, he passes over those people. They're spared. They're delivered. They're set free. The the last supper, the communion meal, that's the context in which Jesus instituted this last supper. It was a a remembrance of what God had done in the past in the deliverance. People out of Egypt Um, it's a looking forward to the day that we will celebrate this feast in the presence of the Lord in heaven at the end of the ages if you uh, read toward the end of the book of Revelation it ends with a great celebration a great feast in the presence of God and so what it tells us in the present is we don't have to wait we're talking about the living presence of Christ in us today We're talking about the efficacy, the effectiveness of the blood of Christ to change even us, people like you and me, into his image in a consistent, progressive way, more and more pleasing to him. And as you do that, it's an amazing thing. When we're in sin, it's like we've got all of these chains on us. And as we begin to walk with Christ, the chains, they just start falling off. And you become more and more free as you walk with Him. And He is very faithful. He keeps showing us things in our life. He doesn't show us all at once. Uh, it would just destroy us, you know. Uh, But He shows us as much as we're able. And He cleanses us and sets us free. And as we walk in that freedom, then He shows us more. Other areas that we can become more free, more like Him, more cleansed and know him in a deeper, better way. So he's not offering us just an experience. What he's offering us is a relationship of knowing him and knowing who he is, speaking to him, knowing that he is speaking to us and changing with us and walking with us through each day. And that's what we celebrate this morning. Our church believes in open communion. That means if you're here today and you want to participate, you are welcome you are welcome to come. The invitation of Christ is for all of us. And every, every person in that upper room, that day was a sinner. Every person in here today, I hate to tell you, we're all sinners. Uh, and if we're anything other than that, it's simply by the grace and mercy of God. And so we come to acknowledge that individually, but we come together corporately to acknowledge that as a church. And you're welcome to come to participate. Uh, Two things, you're welcome to come. Number two, don't feel pressured to come. If you're uncomfortable, don't, don't come. You're free. You're free. You can choose to participate or not. And that's what freedom is all about, isn't it? So we can be skeptical believers and not enter into anything. Or we can be blessed believers and know the fullness of God. And so he just leaves it. It's up to you. You're free to choose. So, But you are welcome. And all of this is because on the night that he was betrayed, and which of us have never betrayed the Lord? On the night that he was betrayed, betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and after he had given thanks, he took it and blessed it He broke it. Christ blesses the brokenness. And he said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he blessed the cup. And he gave it to his disciples saying, each of you drink from this cup This is a new covenant, a new relationship between God and us. A new covenant in Christ's blood. It's shed for you and for many. It's for the forgiveness of sins. That's your sins. That's my sins. That's the sins I've committed against other people. That's forgiveness of the sins other people have sinned against me. So I don't have to be bitter. I don't have to be judgmental or accusative. Or confrontational. I can receive the forgiveness of God. For myself, I can receive it on behalf of others. And be free. Really free. That's what it means. And so Jesus invites us to come and participate this morning. And receive from him that which we are longing to receive. It's not magic. It's just wafers and grape juice. That doesn't change. What changes is by faith... We accept what Christ has done for us and then the Holy Spirit makes an application deep within us and he transforms us. So he invites us to come and participate this morning. Will those serving communion please come forward?